Welcome back to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, optimal brain health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. Welcome back to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Greg Kelly. Dr. Greg Kelly is a naturopathic physician, the lead product formulator at Neurohacker Collective, and the author of the book, Shapeshift. He was the editor of the Journal of Alternative Medicine Review and has been an instructor at the University of Bridgeport at the College of Naturopathic Medicine, where he taught classes in advanced clinical nutrition, counseling skills, and doctor-patient relationships. Dr. Kelly has published numerous articles on various aspects of natural medicine and nutrition, contributed three chapters to the textbook of natural medicine, and has more than 30 journal articles indexed on PubMed. Today, we're going to be talking about senolytics. This has a lot to do with how we age. Stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. When we talk about lingering senescent cells, we're saying, okay, in tissues throughout the body, as time passes and we get older, the equivalent of these yellowing leaves can build up. And a fundamental principle is that the health of a tissue is reliant on the health of the cells. Dr. Greg, it's a pleasure to have you here with me today. Well, thank you for having me as your guest. I'm thrilled to be talking to you and your audience about senescent cells. Yes, it's such an important topic. So I've covered a little bit on the stages or the pillars of aging. And um, one of those primary pillars is cellular senescence. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Sure. So the um, by pillars of aging, I'm assuming you mean the hallmarks of aging or yes. that, that paradigm, right? So one of those nine hallmarks is cellular senescence. And I think the way that I would tend to think about it would be um, cells are constantly under stress. And so their first response to stress is to basically get tougher, you know, create antioxidant defenses, enzymes, things like that to deal with it. Um, if that's not sufficient, then eventually maybe some inside cells, um, organelles, proteins get misfolded. So that's um, where then autophagy steps in, right? That's the cellular stress response to internal damage to try to recycle that. And if cells keep getting stressed and get to the point where it's not worth repairing the damage any inside anymore, then cells will essentially execute a program that would ultimately result in cell death. So that's um, a Greek word, apoptosis, but it means literally falling off in the sense of fruit falling off a plant, flowers falling off a, a bush, leaves falling off a tree. And what cellular senescence is, it's kind of what happens somewhere when damage is past what autophagy can get to. Um, and it's designed to shift them into that pathway that will eventually lead to falling off. So it's a healthy thing. It's part of a natural response. And I think a, an important thing to understand for the audience is there's transient cellular senescence, and then there's lingering. So if you and I went for an intense exercise workout right now, we would create senescent cells, completely healthy. And that's what a part of what helps then our tissue heal and regenerate from that exercise. But what happens in aging is it's not these transient ones we're worried about, it's ones that linger. So the visual for the audience would be, again, that idea of falling off and think of actually a plant. You know, you look at it today, 
you see a couple of ye yellowing leaves mixed in with the vibrant green ones. Like, huh, huh, that's, you know, odd. And then, you know, you come back a week later, there's more yellow ones. And if over time, if you don't prune those away, the yellowing leaves actually are harmful to the plant. They're stealing resources. They're great for, you know, creating pests. And without pruning them away, you can't have new growth. So senescent cells are literally like those yellowing leaves in our tissues. When we talk about lingering senescent cells, we're saying, okay, in tissues throughout the body, as time passes and we get older, the equivalent of these yellowing leaves can build up. And a fundamental principle is that the health of a tissue is reliant on the health of the cells in those tissues. So what aging researchers have found is that almost everything we would um, put in that um, compromise function that ha with aging box, senescent cells are somewhere in the picture. So it's not the only cause of aging, but aging, in addition to that, what you, you described as the pillars of aging, there's two main camps when it comes to aging. There's one group that thinks aging is mostly called programmed aging. It's basically our cells run a program as we get aged that results in aging. And then there's another camp that says, no, we think the main reason that people experience unhealthy aging is because of progressive damage accumulation. So the damage accumulation camp. And senescent cells would be squarely in that damage accumulation. So, so I, I went off like on a, on a big tangent there, so. <laughs> no, no, I like it. Um, what, can I ask what camp you're in? So, um, like my guess is that there'll be new camps uh, over, but I think the damage accumulation right now is the one most amenable to strategies to do something about it. So right. that, you know, so that's where the idea of senolytics, which is a term Scripps Institute for Aging and Mayo Clinic coined back in 2015, they would be things that can help remove senescent cells. So basically remove this piece of damage. And then yeah. like what I know you're really interested in the brain um, you know, I mentioned that the health of tissues is reliant on the health of, of cells. And you sometimes hear that the average life of a cell is about seven years, but that's actually misleading. So some cells like red blood cells are the vast majority of what turns over on a daily basis, probably 80 plus percent. They live about four months, but the neurons in our brain basically live our entire lifetime. So they don't turn over. Um, you, cells within our fat tissue turn over about every eight years. Muscle tissue, it's about 15, heart, 40. So these different tissues have very different rates of replacing their cells. And then in the brain, while neurons, you know, functionally live a lifetime, there's actually a, an animal experiment where they took neurons from an old, I think it was mice, but it might have been rats, them, and transplanted them into a new, young, and the neurons are still alive at the end of that second animal's life. So, you know, the neurons could outlast us in general if we do things to take care of them. But other cells in our brain, like the microglia, oligodendrocytes, those ones do turn over just like other ones. And those ones can become senescent. So even in our brain, senescent cells seem to play a big role in the animal research to date. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I feel like the damage kind of philosophy seems to, in my opinion, just make the most sense because we see people that 
are accumulating more damage because of their diet or because of their lifestyle factors, for the most part, they experience more more um, ailments, symptoms, disease, things of that nature than people that are living really healthy lives. Of course, that's not always the case. There's always, you know, those the couple of people that say, oh, she smoked and drank and, you know, did everything her whole life and still is living at 100 or something. But I think you have a better chance to, um, you know, live a longer, healthier life if, if you're taking care of your body. So I agree with that. Can you touch base on the other, um, your, the hallmarks of aging? So we have senescent cells. Can we, we don't have to go deep into them, but can we talk about some other reasons why we are thinking that people age these days? Yeah. So of the nine hallmarks, I'm probably not going to remember all nine because I didn't um, breathe, but one would be mitochondrial dysfunction. So which I'm like with brain health, crazy important uh, David Asprey, I know that was a gist of his book, Headstrong. Um, another would be signaling pathways. So things like sirtuins, as an example. Um, DNA damage would be another. Um, one's called protein quality control or proteostasis, but that's where autophagy fits in, right? So um, misfolded proteins and autophagy is what would recycle those. Um, another one has to do with nutrient sensing, um, let me see what else. I'm drawing a blank, so sorry. But that, that covers about seven of them right there when you add in senescent cells. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, I can oh, actually I, pull um, Telomere. Telomere yeah. is another one. Um, and telomeres are, are interfaced with senescent cells. One of the, um, like the original idea of why cells became senescent was because telomeres shortened. And that mm -hmm. once they got to a certain length, then senescence was the program that was executed. So a, a lot of these aren't necessarily discrete things. They interact. Yeah, that makes sense. So can senescent cells be any type of cell? So can you have equal opportunity to for skin cells to be senescent as, you know, um, maybe another cell in the body, like a brain cell? Yeah, so I think... Um, there's even some animal studies now that suggest that neurons, which, like I said, don't self-renew to the extent of other cells, can become senescent. But yes, I, I think that any tissue that's been looked at today, whether it's muscle tissue, fat tissue, cartilage, um, the immune system, skin cells, you know, the brain, senescent cells can be part of that. And um, like in the the... I guess the senolytic senescent cell and skin research to date, many of the things we think of as, you know, skin aging. So wrinkles, saggy skin, those the senescent cells play a role in those things for sure. And yeah. then muscle. So muscle, as we get older, have you ever heard of the idea anabolic resistance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like anabolic resistance for the audience means, um, so I'm 60. So the, like compared to the 20 year old Greg, my muscles aren't going to necessarily get the same anabolic response to lifting the same weights or increasing my protein intake. They're resistant to that. And again, in animal studies, um, today there's only been one that's looked at it, but what they found was that senescent cells actually promoted that anabolic resistance and doing a cocktail, which included quercetin and desatinib. Desatinib is another big senolytic um, um, compound that cocktail reduced the senescent cells in the aging muscle tissues. And I, again, it was my rats. I'm not remembering which it was. And then that reversed the anabolic resistance. So that's one of the themes you see in the animal research is that 
senolytics tend to essentially reverse or regenerate. And so senolytic cells, are they excreting anything that's harmful? Is that how that mechanism kind of works? So not only they're not performing their job functions the way that they should be and they're lingering around, that's a problem, but do they, do they release anything that like leads to inflammation? That's a great question. And the term sometimes you'll see in research is bystander effect. So quite commonly, senescent cells are described as zombie cells. And that means two things. One of them will, is what you just mentioned. So, but zombie, it's, they're not, you know, live healthy cells, but they haven't finished that falling off, right? They're frozen in between. It's like a, like the undead, like a zombie. But the other reason that that metaphor is appropriate is because they secrete compounds. It's called um, senescence associated secretory phenotype, but SASP, SASP for short. And they can essentially turn bystander cells into senescent cells. So that's part of the reason that they're so detrimental for aging. So I, I think of the idea as they punch above their weight. Even as we're old, there's not like there's crazy high amounts of senescent cells in, say, fat tissue. But what's there can cause damage disproportionate to their numbers. So, But on the flip side, just slowly decreasing that a little bit can make a big, like a powerful impact because not only is it the space they're taking up, but they're essentially converting other cells over time to also being the equivalent of these yellow leaves. So they're like recruiting friends. They're like doing a bait and switch. I feel like it's like come over to my side, but then I'm going to turn you into a zombie cell. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very unfriendly, but um, that's why we have to get rid of them. Right. So how do you test for um, senescent cells? There's no great um, currently blood tests. So in um, both animal and human studies, they would typically do tissue biopsies and then stain to see which ones. And they're looking at specific markers on those cells that senescent cells have. So in a sense, think of senescent cells as, as having characteristics that are easy to distinguish from a healthy cell. But in terms of um, a blood test, I know a few labs have been working on it. Buck Institute of Aging thought data identified something in the blood that might be an indicator of you know the directionality of senescent cells. But to date, as far as I know, none of the labs I'm in touch with feel like they have anything close to commercializing a test. So it's more, you know, shorter biopsy. Um, you could look at, you know, things like TNF alpha, interleukin six, you know, HbA1c, um, things that correspond to inflammation in the blood. But the smartest people I know in the field don't feel like that's necessarily predictive. It's predictive of good things happening with health, but not necessarily what's happening with senescent cells and tissues. So, Are there any, um, do we have any idea, so let's just say when you're 20 years old versus when you're 30 versus when you're 50, do we have any idea what the baseline or normal amount of senescent cells might be? Not that I'm aware of all, and a lot of this comes from animals because it's the only thing you can kind of stagger and do biopsies over time, but the only generality would be that they accumulate with age. And, but it can be different in different tissues. So someone could have high amounts of senescent cells, as an example, in their um, knee joints, but that doesn't mean they would have necessarily a high amount in their liver or their brain, right? It can be very tissue dependent. So 
That said, it would be a truism that most tissues will accumulate more as the aging process goes on. Yeah, and that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I think it'll be interesting to, you know, just like we can now run a variety of different tests on our biological age, if we could look at what's the standard or maybe acceptable amount of senescent cells, do we always, we always have some senescent cells, yeah, regardless of age, but what does that look like? I think it'd be really interesting that we could have a biomarker to measure against because, you know, it's just another indication of, quite frankly, how we're aging. So that would be well, really interesting. And I think it would be important eventually for them to be able to identify the transient ones that are a healthy response from the lingering ones that have figured out how to hang out um, indefinitely, right? So as I mentioned, you know, if, this would be the expectation. If a 20-year-old did, you know, like a, a, an intense weightlifting exercise or, you know, like a sprint workout, they would create some senescent cells that would be that would be a healthy response it's part of what helps then that tissue repair itself um but two weeks later they should be gone like the, it should have been a transient process they did their job they either completed that journey to falling off or the immune system cleaned them up but and again this is extrapolating from older older animals an older animal two weeks later the senescent cells have, are still lingering they, they haven't cleaned up. And so that it's that idea of them lingering and then accumulating over time that I think is the most important thing. And that, um, you know, would be great if science could figure out are there characteristic markers on the transient ones versus the lingering one that would help us tell which is which, because it's really those lingering ones that we want to prune away. Yeah. And that would be a difficult test to conduct because like, for example, you know, you don't want to have a hard workout before you test your inflammation levels because they can be higher, but you can just not work out for roughly like 24 hours and the test will still come back accurate. But I don't think people, especially, I mean, people like me, I wouldn't want to not work out for two weeks to be yeah. able to get an accurate. So it seems like we have some work to do there, but um, yeah, we're in the early days for sure. Yeah, like Would I said, you... the term senolytic was only coined in 2015. Senescent cells have been known about for decades, but their contribution to, you know, like um, skin health, um, anabolic resistance, brain, those are all newish studies, meaning, you know, the last you know handful of years. Would you classify, I mean, do cancer cells, are those, could those be classified as like senescent cells? No, so the... Um, Part of the reason historically that um, scientists thought that we run this senescent cell program is to prevent damaged cells from progressing to cancer. Mm -hmm. So the idea would be, all right, let's freeze it here so that it's damaged and then it will go through the falling off process. Or if it doesn't, the immune system will clean it up. And I think one of the reasons that with aging we see the accumulation is that our immune system also gets old. It's called immunosenescence is the term, but functionally our immune system just misses cleaning up more and more of these cells. But anyways, um, I guess getting to your question, no, cancer cells would be their own thing, but our, the same strategies would be what our system should ideally use for a cancer cell, right? To, uh, cancer cells can go through apoptosis and our immune system should be constantly on the alert for cells that aren't self and removing those before they accumulate. Yeah, absolutely. I um I definitely think that 
you know, losing some of our robustness of our immune system is, I, I believe that the numbers are, if you are between like 65 and 75, I think, you know, your percentage risk of cancer goes up by like 2000% because our bodies aren't as good as identifying those cells and then kind of clearing them out. So um, interesting to know, I just wasn't sure if there was a link between cells lingering around and, you know, the, the same kind of concept. So very good to know. Um, so then tell us the difference between, so we know senescent cells are these rogue cells that are zombie-like and hanging around for way too long. And that's a problem. So define senolytic for us. Yeah. So, um, senolytic, it basically is two things together. So seno comes from, um, I think it's Latin for aging and lytic means destruction of. So specifically they were named or senolytic came from compounds that Mayo and Scripps Institute of Aging first identified as things that when added to say like a cell culture would preferentially target and, and cause the senescent cells to self-destruct. So that's the idea of senolytic. There are these things that preferentially target the senescent cells and help them be pruned away from our tissues. And since 2015, when the first two were identified, there's been a lot of research emphasis on finding other things that can, can act as senolytics. Um, and of the two originally identified, one of them was quercetin, which has been used in dietary supplements at least my whole career, which dates back to the early 90s. Um, but the way that they're used is they're typically pulsed in much higher doses. So instead of taking something like quercetin every day, when taking it as a senolytic, it would usually be paired with something else and then taken in a much higher dose, but only for maybe two days with then a you think of almost like a monthly fast, like you do it for a couple of days and then have a long period before you would do the next cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you are, you've already developed some really incredible products around this, but what about lifestyle factors? Um, are there any studies indicating that things like cold therapy or fasting can help with decreasing? I've not cells? seen anything on, um, on either of them with senescent cells in particular, but for sure, um, do you know the fasting mimicking diet? Yes. Um, so fasting, like they've looked at immunosenescence, like immune cells. So that looks like it does definitely for like immune cells. It acts like that. They've looked at autophagy and autophagy and um, senescence are so interrelated. Uh, matter of fact, a lot of the ingredients that, um, are senolytic also are things that induce autophagy, which isn't probably too surprising since they're just different cellular stress responses. But I think in part because it is hard to measure clearance of senescent cells, it's very tissue specific, that there just hasn't been a research emphasis. But my intuition is many of the biohacks that we know are good for healthy aging, we would see that they either help remove those or, so there's a couple different terms, but the, in a category of senotherapeutics, senolytics would be one of three things. You know, those are things that target and kind of self-destruct the senescent cells. Another is sometimes called senostatic or senomorphic, 
but those are things that essentially change the behaviors of senescent cells so they're not as unfriendly to neighboring cells right they're they're decreasing those um, molecules that get sent out into the environment nearby and then the the third leg is the immune system right because the immune system's job throughout the month is to find things that are damaged right so like senescent cells and then prune them away so my intuition is that there's going to be some some strategies that are more um, powerful for the immune system like the fasting mimicking diet for sure there's others that might actually be more xenomorphic they're more protective of how um, preventing new cells from becoming um, senescent cells. And then there's others that would probably, um, you know, either be directly senolytic or would combine with things that are senolytic. But, but it, like big pictures, we just don't know a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, but that my intuition, like personally, um, when I take our qualia senolytic, I'll often do at least something more akin to the fasting mimicking diet. I really cut down on my calories and protein for those two days a month. That's smart. Yeah, I've I've taken this um, your product, and I didn't do a fast or anything during those days, but probably would have made sense too. And for anyone that's not aware of the fasting mimicking diet, it's essentially a program where you reduce your calories day by day. You don't eat much, but you can eat a few things. There's um, things like little soups and a couple of different like types of crackers, I believe. Um, but that was developed by Walter, uh, Walter Longo, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah so um, he does a lot of research on that. So I have uh, tried that before. And also I've, I used to do a lot more fasting, um, you know, as a person that's also highly active, I have to be careful because, you know, you don't want to be burning tons and tons of calories and then also not be eating. So um, yeah, but I like that. So why don't we talk a little bit about the active ingredients and the product that you developed? Um, I know that you mentioned quercetin, which I feel like quercetin has just skyrocketed in popularity recently. Um, yeah. So we um, we use quercetin. Um, we actually use a, uh, um, a clinically studied one called Quercifit by a company named Adina. They're the suppliers of it. But it's a more bioavailable Quercetin, quercetin, a lot of polyphenols are notorious for having poor bioavailability. Um, and the, in the ongoing studies that are registered at clinicaltrials.gov, quercetin is in a few of those and usually at a dose of about 1,000 milligrams a day in those couple days a month. Um, so we have that. We, other than quercetin, I think the most studied natural compound as a senolytic by far is fisetin which is another plant polyphenol. Um, historically, it was actually a yellow dye. Quercetin is also yellow. One of the interesting things is a couple of things that were historically yellow dyes have been among the stronger xenolytic compounds. So a third of those is called luteolin, which is um, structurally almost identical to quercetin. It has a single um, OH or hydroxyl group um, difference. So we, we have those three that we feel like are very complementary. They, they share a lot of the same mechanisms. Um, we have um, a basically piper longum root extract standardized for piper longamine. So um, most of the audience is super familiar with black pepper. Long pepper is, think of it as its cousin. It's um, was used like 1500 years ago, probably more than black pepper, but it would have that same pungency. 
Um, one of the things, though, that makes it slightly different is it has this compound called piperlongamine, where black pepper doesn't. And piperlongamine is somewhat unique in terms of its senolytic mechanism. It's the only compound to date that works in something called um, oxoreductase 1. So it, it also is um, would be something that, for lack of a better way to describe it, seems to really um, help the part of the immune system whose job it is to clean out um, senescent cells. So that, those would be natural killer cells. Then we have a, an ingredient called Synactive. It's a, again, a branded ingredient. It's made up of notoginseng and a um, chestnut rose extract. That's been studied as a senolytic in muscle tissue. And again, that idea like overcoming anabolic resistance is a big part of what I think is important for a senolytic. Um, and then we also have an olive leaf extract. Um, today, um, the polyphenols in olive leaves have been have um, supported senescent activities in chondrocytes. So those are the cells in our joint tissue. And then we have two other things, milk thistle extract for kind of the, the liver support and soy isoflavones, which mimic some of the mechanisms that several other um, non-plant-based senolytics exploit. So one of the reasons we have that mix of things, and this would go back to the initial study on quercetin in 2015. So what the researchers found in that study is that quercetin was a senolytic in some tissues, but like as an example, it wasn't at all in fat tissue, where fisetin so far in animal studies has been senolytic in fat tissue. So when we built our product, we wanted to make sure we included compounds that had this activity in multiple different tissues. Basically, um, it would be a mistake to think of all senescent cells as identical. They all share characteristics, but it doesn't mean they're all exactly the same. So one compound is unlikely to remove or support the management of senescent cells in all tissues. So at Neurohacker Collective, we felt it was really important to put a mix of things in together that would complement. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if you're going to be taking it, it might as well be as broad of a net, right, as possible for all sorts of different um, senescent cells. Would you recommend people incorporate, I don't know, I've never actually seen how to get long pepper, but should this be something that people could like swap out for their regular black pepper and would that help at all, incorporating so, into meals? Not really. So the, what we use in um, spices, the seeds of black pepper, and it's the roots of long pepper that have the highest concentration of piperlongamine. But even in the roots, it's not high. You'd have to eat a lot of the root to get the 50 milligrams we would have in our product and by a lot like pounds. So it's kind of like when people um, drink wine for the resveratrol. Yeah, same exact kind of thing. Like it, it, there's no feasible way to get these concentrations. So something like fisetin, you know, strawberries are, you know, a food source of fisetin, but you just couldn't get um, anywhere near the dose that's being used in this um, senolytic studies by eating strawberries. 
Yes, absolutely. So are there any other studies that have recently come out that you guys are kind of basing this new product? This is a new product for you guys. I'm sure it's been in development for quite some time. But are, is there anything else interesting on the research end that you'd like to share? Well, we did. So one of the things Neurohacker Collective does before we would ever bring any product to market is we'll do some kind of a small pilot study. Um, so one of our challenges with this qualiocenolytic was what to actually study because you can't do a blood test. You know, we talked to a few labs to see what they suggested. And at the end of the day, we just, we felt like kind of at a dead end, like how would we know if it's doing anything helpful? And what ended up being the case, one of the, um, there's something called the rejuvenation roadmap on lifespan.io. And what they do is they update this rejuvenation roadmap periodically through the year. And it has each of those nine hallmarks of aging. So it has you know, each of those nine things that we discussed near the beginning, and then has different trials that are going on for compounds that slot into really each of those nine hallmarks of aging areas. And one that had been going on had, to, and this was a pharma company, so it wasn't natural substances, but what they decided to do was test their senolytic compound for joint health. And so we um, used a similar questionnaire to what they had used in their study, which was designed to find a group of people that had some degree of joint health issues. So, you know, poor flexibility, difficulty in performing in normal activities of daily living, you know, getting in and out of cars, walking up and down steps, right? Like discomfort in those areas. And we recruited them and had them do three cycles of qualiocenolytic. And by a cycle, I mean, they took it, the full dose for two days, you know, had a window what we did just to try to accelerate things. We had them wait two weeks, then do it another two days, wait two weeks, and then do their final two days. And what we then did is have them answer at each of those time points, these questionnaires about, um, you know, comfort with daily living, flexibility, et cetera. And what we saw was compared to their baseline, what they had entering our study, there was more than a 50% decrease in these issues for this group of 10 people. So that was what gave us the confidence to move it in to the market. And we're, we have another study right now, we're just in the midst of launching that will use a, a um, that, you know, the SF36, that questionnaire. Yes. It, yeah. So we, we're using we're using that to um, that's probably the most widely used questionnaire for all all different areas of kind of healthy function. So um, so anyways, that's you know, that was what we did to test it out. It, like I said, the response was excellent in that short amount of time and number of doses. Yeah, that's wonderful. And talk a little bit about the protocol. So we kind of briefed over it, but it just chew a day, right? And you do that how often? Yeah, so it's um, actually the full dose is six a day, but it's two days a month. So for um, our recommendation, our base recommendation is, so this is the, you know, for the audience, I don't know if this is being videoed, but there's just a, a blister pack inside that has um, 12 capsules. So you would take six one day, six the next. And that's it. That's your, you know, all you need to do for the month. If um, you know, like I said, we tested it out with more frequency than that. So instead of the, you know, the two days a month, do that two days and then another cycle mid-month. But uh, for most people, that wouldn't be what they need. 
It's just to do something slowly. Cause again, the idea is almost think of yourself as being a gardener. You just want to do something that periodically prunes away these unhealthy cells. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I do a lot of um, hormesis or hormetic stressors to try to maybe, you know, not necessarily specifically target the senescent cells, but for, you know, um, body rejuvenation. So is there a different protocol for different ages? So if you're, when should people start this? Can you start in your 20s or do you want to wait until later? Yeah. Um, so this would be extrapolating from animals, but it's probably better to start younger than rather, you know, um, you know, when it's better to like um, cut things off at the root. But for, you know, say a 25 year old, instead of like the one cycle a month, I would say, oh, just do one cycle a quarter. You, you, you probably don't have a bunch that have accumulated. So that, that might be more than sufficient. But once you get to mid thirties, it's probably a bit better to at least do it monthly. And like I said, in the, the group we had that was already having a lot of discomfort and issues with flexibility, at least for that initial three cycles, we had them do it every two weeks. So our baseline would be um, once a month, but it would largely depend on you know, how and to what degree someone's experiencing the um, you know, issues of aging. So for me, you know, like I said at the beginning, I'm 60, so I just do it once a month at this point. Okay, good. Do you intend on increasing that dosage at all? Um, I've played with it more than that. Um, you know, more just, again, like before I would send anything out to participants in a study, I always um, experiment myself. So, um, I, I, so I guess like the big picture, if you over prune a plant, that's as damaging as not pruning it at all. Right. So I, it's, it's not more frequent is better. I've seen a couple companies that have launched their own senolytic products that tell people to do it every day. That's the opposite of how you should approach senolytics. Like, again, like that idea of, you know, a periodic fast is a much better analogy for how I think a senolytic should be taken. In fact, one of the, you know, the main researchers um, coined the idea of hit and run as the approach to senolytics. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because it's just like anything, you know, too much of a supplement can have a negative effect. And of course, you know, too much pruning, as you say, also uh, wouldn't be wouldn't be the best. So in general, to kind of recap here, um, how can senolytics help the aging process? So what could people hypothetically um, expect to feel or experience, or even if it's on a lower level? So if you start when you're 25, and so you're continually doing this pruning. How can this taking a senolytic help the aging process? So, I, so there's again one of the reasons that it's tough to to study that because how aging is affecting you know ten different people may be very different. Like we'll all have some things in common, but you know, like as an example, I, I don't have any things that I would be able to tell. Oh, my joints feel better and more flexible. I'm crazy flexible. My joints aren't uncomfortable. So I wouldn't expect to experience anything. There's nothing, there's, there's no ceiling, right. My, to, um, to get to where, you know, so one of the things I'm personally tracking just because I know this idea of anabolic resistance and muscle tissues is I, um, you know, in a smartphone app, I've been tracking, 
uh, my weight training for I don't know, say four years. So that's you know, and you know, seeing if after a few cycles, do I notice all of a sudden like a jump in the number of repetitions I can do that you know wouldn't have been explained? Do my muscles feel like they're you know um, responding anabolically you know better than they should for sixty? So I think um, it's going to vary for a lot of people, but in general, if there's an experience of aging, like a subjective experience that someone is having, that would be the thing to pay attention to. But my intuition would be um, that cognitively, you know, after a few cycles, someone that's feeling that, you know, like middle age or older, like, you know, brain foggy, I would expect, you know, like pay attention to that. Um, Skin health would be another one, you know, pay attention to how, you know, how resilient and, you know, uh, the appearance of your skin. Um, GI, like I said, we, we've disproportionately had a lot of people that have commented on things to do with, um, you know, like almost activities of daily living, you know, joints, um, that type of thing so far. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see more research in this area, but I mean, you know, we obviously have some data right now to show that there's good reason to, I mean, take six pills a day for two days every month. So I think you guys have made it easy enough that it can be a really simple add-in into your daily routine. And also everything that you guys do is so comprehensive. Um, I'm sure that you have a lot to do with that in terms of all the products. I mean, so many ingredients in the quality of mine. So um, I have a link, so I'll include all the details. And if anyone's interested in trying it, um, I think I approach every situation with like a risk versus reward kind of mindset. And I think that the reward here looks really good. And, you know, the risk, as long as you're doing it by the protocol, seems low. So I really appreciate you coming on to talk a little bit about this with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think that risk reward is exactly how I think about it. The, um, you know, I think of the risk of all of these ingredients as really low. I mean, all of them have been used in like safely in humans and um, but the reward is, you know, like potentially really high. Right. So yeah, I know I was initially trying to get so our work actually or my work on this started, I think it was November of 2018. And, um, you know, so it's been a passion area for me <laughs> for a long time before we've had a product to share with the wider world. And I was you know, personally thrilled to be able to finally have it available just to take it myself once a month. So. Yeah, absolutely. I've done one round of it, but I'll have to get some more and continue, uh, continue on that trajectory because it's really all the small things that we do that equal, you know, better health. It's if you do something once ever, of course, the impact's not going to be nearly as great as if you do it over the course of 10 years. So same thing with eating healthy, exercising, going to the gym once is not really going to do anything for you. But if you keep that up every day or five times a week, you're, you're going to see good results. So well, thank you again. And, um, you know, it's been a delight to get to talk a bit about senescent cells and senolytics with you today. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me. was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. 
This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions of their guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.